Like clockwork, every Friday, her father asked her to make a copy of her check register to send to him. Coming up in episode 86, Barry Tesler shares what she learned from this experience, and it's not what you may think. Welcome to the Her Money Matters podcast, the preferred podcast by many women across the globe to help you take control of your finances. Join me, Jen Hempel, a motivational money coach and your host each week as I share with you practical, simple money insights and real life stories by women like you. Let's do it. You are back, or maybe this is your first time being here. So if that is the fact, then thank you so much for choosing this podcast. If you are returning, thank you so much for returning. I'm excited to have you here. Now, I've got an absolute treat for you today, but first, I wanted to remind you that wherever you are in your money journey, remember, you don't have to do this alone. Find an accountability partner, someone that you like and trust and is really striving for the same thing you are, getting gaining control of that money, getting that confidence with that money, anything money-related. Or you can also join our community for support and connection with, uh, with other like-minded individuals. And of course, I can even help. And it would be such an honor to support you. You can fill out a quick survey over at jenhempill.com forward slash ready, and then email me so I know that you filled out the survey over at support at jenhempill.com. And based on your answers, I can point you in the right direction for your particular needs, whether it's something I can help you with personally, whether it's a resource or whether it's referring you to another person. I'll be very upfront and honest with you. Now, in today's episode, this is what we're going to learn, the generosity and missing gaps that Barry experienced in her money journey. We're also going to learn her therapy background and why money became a part of the picture and mission. We're also going to learn what purpose talking about their visions served as a couple on their money dates. Now, let me share with you a little bit about Barry Tesler. She is a financial therapist, mentor coach, and mompreneur. Barry's gentle, body-centered approach weaves together personal, couple, and creative entrepreneurial money teachings into one complete tapestry. She is the founder of The Art of Money, a global year-long money school, which integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps. Barry is also the author of The Art of Money, a life-changing guide to financial happiness. So let's go ahead and meet the soulful Barry Tesler. Welcome, Barry Tesler, to the Her Money Matters podcast. I am excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I appreciate you being here. I've followed you for a little bit and you are a wealth of knowledge. I love the work that you do. So I can't wait to dive in to get to know you and what you're all about. So you ready to do this? I'm ready. Perfect. So Mary, let's start off with how you grew up around money. So tell us how you grew up, what you saw, what you experienced, what you learned uh, growing up. So I grew up what I would call middle class and with a father who's an entrepreneur in real estate and a mom who at first was raising us three kids. And then she went back to work 
it was always, it looked like it was for my father, you know, you know, now we can look in retrospect and see, wow, they were running the business together for years. And she was doing the bookkeeping and other things behind the scenes. And he made all the deals and he was more of the front guy, but they were really running it together. So I grew up uh, middle class in that there was a lot of generosity and at the same time, which is wonderful, right? Mm-hmm. So absolutely, I had, yeah, there is a lot of my needs and wants and some desires met. And then, so that's the beautiful part, right? Um, and then there were a lot of conditions that weren't conveyed in a clear way. And it has everything to do with my parents of being of their generation, not being taught a financial education themselves or being taught how to have um, compassionate, clear conversations, healthy conversations around money, you know, with themselves, with their kids. And so there was just little things that w- there were a lot of things that would happen. You know, I was 15 and my father would send me out to apply for jobs um, and report back. You know, f- you know, I had to apply to, let's say, six of them in one weekend. And on the one hand, that taught me a good work ethic because I had to work young. I had to get jobs. Um, but from the, uh, the other hand, it was really hard for me. I was a sensitive kid and there was no one talking to me about what kind of jobs I wanted to do, what I was good at, what my skill set was, what my superpowers were, you know? So sending me out to apply for six jobs in one weekend was like sending me out to the wolves and, you know, I did it. And so it taught me to be tough, um, and override a lot of things. And, you know, so I feel like there was just a lot of mixed messages in my upbringing. Again, there was generosity. They paid for my undergrad. I paid for my graduate school, right? So my undergrad was paid for. But another example of this mixed message thing was my father would ask me to every Friday make a copy of my checking account checkbook register, you know, back in the day when we would fill it out manually. And he wanted me to do that and then make a photocopy of it and send it to him. So I did that. So there was a lot of requests like that and conditions like that of where things I had to do and I would do them. But then there was never any follow up like, well, is this okay? How am I spending? Do you have, do you want me to spend differently? You know, what are your rules? What are your, what, you know, talk to me, (laughs) you know, I can teach me about how to do this. And so I would make copies of my checkbook registers, send them in and there was never any discussion. So I didn't know my boundaries. And I'll tell one last story as an example. They sent me to Europe again, pretty, you know, extravagant. And they sent me to Europe to study one year in college. So it was actually one semester. So I went to Italy and was there and was studying. And everyone else that I was with came from wealthier backgrounds and they were all traveling every weekend to a different part of Europe. And one weekend I went to France and I came back and back. This is when we were talking on payphones, And so right, I called my parents on the payphone and said, this is what I did. And my dad was horrified. And then he decided to stop sending me money for a month. Oh, no. <laughs> so, you know, again, like, my God, I'm in Europe. I'm on this, you know, but I didn't know how to deal with that. Now, did it teach me grit? Did it teach me how to be tough? Did it teach me how to deal with the small amount of money that I had left and live on it for so many weeks. I don't remember the exact timing. And like, I think I ate one good meal a day. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But it was kind of like this odd juxtaposition between like I'm in Europe and yet my parents are not, have stopped sending me money. 
And at that time, I didn't know how to fend for myself. And I knew how to get jobs in the States, let's say, but I didn't know. I didn't speak Italian, but I didn't know how to get a job there. And so there were just a lot of moments like that, like so much beautiful generosity from, from my parents and a lot of teachings about entrepreneurship, even though there were no direct teachings about money or entrepreneurship. But I watched it. I breathed it. I lived it. And, you know, for me, my entrepreneur didn't show up until I was 32 years old and really surprised me. And now I'm going to be 48 and I, I really could not work for anyone else at this point. I think I'm unemployable and I'm, kind of, <laughs> I'm proud of that. So there was a lot that they taught me. My father taught me. There was a, he taught me um, a lot of chutzpah, you know, how to go out and make things happen. But at the same time, there was just a lot of overriding of who I really was and my sensitivity and not really knowing how to create a livelihood or work that was in alignment with my true values and skill set. It was more like just go out there and get a job. And so, you know, I tried to do that until I, anyway, so that's, that's, I can talk about that more, but that's a little bit about my upbringing. Of course, I learned a lot and there are a lot of missing ingredients and missing components. And when I finally decided to go to school to be a therapist at 24, studying, getting my master's in somatic psychology and loved that work and was steeped in it and knew that that was really my calling and what I'm here to do and what I'm innately good at and natural at was to hold space for people in a really deep way. And then it was my student loan that terrified me, that brought me to my knees and allowed me to see, wow, I don't have a relationship to money. Um, This financial education, I did not receive from grade school and up in small increments, you know, on a practical, emotional, psychological level. I know pieces of how to have a relationship to money, but so much is missing. And that school loan is what really just, you know, terrified me and was was the moment where I said either I'm going to go screaming, running away and traveling forever, (laughs) you know, and being a nomad, or I'm going to face this because it was left out of my graduate program and training to be a therapist. We studied every other topic except for money. Money. Yeah, I can can imagine. So let's I wanted to go back to some of this your money story. And you talked about several things you talked about your um, dad sending you and just applying for jobs without I mean, it was just jobs in general, where it was not necessarily something that you were interested. So there you can tell it was like definitely a generational thing where he was trying to teach you the work ethic. And then you spoke of college where they weren't having those conversations on you, you need to do this or that with your money, but rather they were, I think it's more the generosity giving you what maybe they didn't have. And so I find it interesting because you're you said something earlier that just hit, you know, you talked about it was generational, they were generous, and as well, but you also mentioned your trip to Europe. And so that was interesting, too, on how he, uh, he basically stopped sending you money, you had to fend for your own. So what I love about what you're sharing with us is that you're very in tune of how you grew up. Now, tell us a little bit about how that and you studied um, therapy. And you also mentioned how money was a topic that wasn't discussed in in your study. So tell us how that came into play. Was it the student loan you mentioned? Or why did you take an interest in money therapy? Yeah, so just to honor that, you know, my parents did the best that they could, right? Absolutely. It was definitely part of their generation. They were wanting to give me good things. 
my mom and different or di- dad are different. My dad's more of a spender. My mom's more of a saver. She's more frugal. She's really proud of being more frugal. My dad was really proud of being more of a spender, <laughs> you know? And um, yeah, so there was a lot, there was a lot that was passed down and then so much missing pieces. So that where I found myself in my twenties, you know, having to say to my father, basically, um, I had to rebel against him, you know, at, at, you know, my early twenties, he wanted me to go to Japan and teach English and come back and then work in business with him. And, you know, it was all like what he wanted. And, and it wasn't about who I am and what I'm good at. And obviously that was coming from a place of love and all that. Absolutely. But, you know, I had to, at some point say, dad, you know, m- more, like I had to really rebel, you know, I had to kind of give him the finger, it, you know, in a strong <laughs> way at, you know, at the age of 22, I wound up going to Israel instead of Japan it was a life-changing experience, which later my father did say, you completely changed for the better. You know, I found my, I came back to myself. And so I, you know, that's when I was in Israel and I thought I made up dance therapy. So I grew up as a dancer. And the first thing I wanted to do was be a solid gold dancer. I don't know if you know what that is, but it was a TV. Do you know what yep, that is? Absolutely. <laughs> I wanted to be a solid dancer, preteen. It was more like, oh, I'll be in business because that's what my father's in. But really, then as a late teen, I asked my parents if I could go to therapy to try to understand myself better. And then here I am in Israel, and I'm running one day on a kibbutz, and all of a sudden I think that I get a flash of brilliance. And I'm going to put together dance and therapy and, you know, oh my God, I created a whole new field. Well, I get to another part of Israel. I get to Jerusalem and realize I didn't make anything up that there's like a, there's a whole field called dance movement therapy, somatic Mm -hmm. psychology. So, you know, I I knew that that was my work was to go do this. Right. And I spent my twenties working in hospice, both on the bereavement side, doing overnight care. I worked in the mental health field. I was doing my internships leading authentic movement groups for young women, right? There was no money, anything in there. And all my topics were around women and body and food and sexuality and sensuality and death and grief. Mm -hmm. That's what I, and relationships and intimacy. That's what I thought I'd be working with. And the school loan came due. And that was just a moment where I got to see that, wait a second, this was left out of graduate school. How are we going to work with couples around money? This was left out of my undergrad. It was left out of my upbringing. And it was such a missing piece that, you know, I had one of those moments where I, you know, at first I thought I'm the only one who didn't receive this education. And then I started looking around and realizing that all of my community from every economic background possible also did not receive this education or they're missing huge ingredients or huge pieces around it. You know, so my folks from wealthy backgrounds, middle class, I would call lower class, but, or working class. And then my folks from that background say, no, I came from a poor family. I started realizing that we all had strengths around money. We all had challenges. We all had things to overcome. And this was just such a huge missing piece in our education, just like um, emotional intelligence and understanding your emotions and understanding Mm -hmm. your body as well. So for me, it was like I was zapped with this mission. Either really I was going to run away it. or face it. And I chose to face it. And so if I was going to face it, you know, first was doing my own work. So I learned everything I could 
about money management, the language of money, bookkeeping systems, accounting. I started doing my own bookkeeping. I started a book. I I had a bookkeeping business for a few years for therapists, coaches, artists, and contractors. Interesting. And yeah, and they just threw their bookkeeping at me. They could care less (laughs) that I had a master's in psychology. They were just like, do this take this from me. I don't want to have anything to do with it. (laughs) And I learned so much about people's patterns and people's psychology by looking at their numbers and doing their bookkeeping. That was fascinating for me. And um, at some point, this was 15 years ago, I decided that it was time to integrate all of my deep training as as a psychotherapist with all of these tools and systems and practices that I was surprisingly falling in love with around money management. And why I was falling in love with them for many reasons. But one is that if I was going to do this money work or have a relationship to money, it had to include all the other qualities that I was bringing in every other area of my life. So it had to be playful. There had to be deeper meaning. Um, There had to be creativity. There had to be some beauty on and on, you know? So I wound up creating a methodology that I needed, you know, and that I was going to practice And then, you know, I just started integrating the therapy, the, which, you know, which I, and the practical parts. And I called it, I call it financial therapy and started out doing it in small groups of 10 people teaching my methodology, which now integrates money healing, money practices and money maps. And I did it in groups because again, I want us to know we all have strengths and challenges and things to overcome. We all come in with some level of money shame. We um, know, again, no matter what economic background we come from, you know, there's things to work through. And I really wanted us to get, we're not alone and we all have stuff, you know, and let's, let's do this work together and unshame and heal together. And so I would teach 10 person groups over and over and over and over and over until they grew to 20 person and then 50 person And then I finally moved into a year-long version of it after teaching it in every format imaginable, you know, weekend workshops, three-week groups, I mean, excuse me, six-week group, nine weeks, three months, six months. And I'm moving into our, the fifth year of the year-long program, which allows me to be the most generous with content and guest teachers and teaching assistants and really getting that this is a lifelong journey, Absolutely, um, you know, and that we're going to be taking baby steps and some leaps, but, you know, learning this huge learning curve for the rest of our lives. And we can learn a big chunk of it in a year, but we'll, you know, usually need a few years to really take this on. And so that's how I got involved in using money as a doorway into mindfulness, into daily living. And I love the emotional psychological work as much as the very practical and values-based bookkeeping and planning side of things. And they all need to be integrated together. And I'm 15 years later. That's, That's... you know, and four months after the birth of my very first book, The Art of Money, A Life-Changing Guide to Financial Happiness. And I was going to ask about that too. (laughs) So that is such a fascinating story. And I love how you, when you started this, you started doing it in groups because of course we know money can be such a taboo subject to talk about, but hearing other people maybe live some or having some of the same experience that they have helps them talk. So I love that you did that starting when you started doing this. Now, let's talk about your book. Is Does your book show the methodology that you use in your programs or does it talk about a different thing? It takes you through the exact same methodology 
but in written form and book form and also in storytelling form. So, you know, I don't read nonfiction. (laughs) (laughs) I I read memoirs and novels. That's what I love. So if I was going to write a money book, and there are a lot of money books out there. Yes. There's a lot of traditional financial management books out there. And there's some good ones, you know, and I have them on my desk. And I kind of peek or I skim them, you know. <laughs> but if I was going to write one, I didn't need to write another one of those because there's already hundreds, you know, and thousands of those I wanted. I spend wanted less, more. say, or spend less, save more than you exactly. basically. <laughs> exactly. Save I hear you. Yeah. I'm right there with you. So I needed it to be filled with stories of my own journey showing that I walk my talk and I'm living this work day in and day out with myself, my husband, our child and our business and the stories of our community, you know, that I've been teaching for years. So it takes you through the entire methodology, the money healing, the money practices and money maps. And it's filled with tons of story and, you know, one person said it was riveting, you know, which, which I don't know if everyone feels it's riveting, but I had a dear friend who's known me for years, read it, say, Barry, it was really riveting. And she Aww. reads. So that's the book and it's almost 300 pages and it's not big font. It's, you know, definitely a meaty, a meaty book. You know, it's different from the course because the course has me in it, the li- you know, live teaching. It has my teaching assistants and guest teachers and it has the whole live community supporting each other. So and, you know, for 15 years, people have asked me from day one, when's the book coming? And I would, <laughs> and I would always say, well, one day or soon, or, you know, so and it here it of, is. And here it is. And congrats you know, to you, because that yeah. is a big task for it sure. <laughs> Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you big project. So now that we've gotten to know your money story, we've gotten to know about your work, let's get to know you more as far as the money aspect. So what do you consider you do well with money? Um, at this point, there's many things. And and again, it's a practice mm-hmm. and I'm going to be fine tuning and updating it for years to come. And every year I check in and say, what needs my attention this year? Do I need... Um, I did my bookkeeping for 12 years on QuickBooks. And so when someone finally sat me down and hand my hel- ha- held my hand and, you know, I always tease, but it was true. I needed tissue, a box of tissue, and I needed a lot of chocolate. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what I needed when I was learning a bookkeeping system years ago, because it was so emotional for me. It brought up so much. I wasn't good at math growing up. I knew I was smart in many ways, but not traditional ways. And so I had done all of this stuff around if I don't, if I'm not good at math, I can't do money. If I'm not good at math, I can't learn a bookkeeping system. So when I finally was taught a bookkeeping system and the heavens parted and I can learn it and it was so empowering, I did it for 12 years. I did it every other day, you know, every day or every few days. I would sit down and take my receipts out and enter where I was spending and enter money was coming in. And that was my God, there were so many teachings and lessons in that. I learned so much about business. I learned so much about accounting. I learned so much about my spending patterns and cash flow patterns and the ups and downs. Um, and then three years ago, I finally passed on my bookkeeping to Jess Salzman, heart based bookkeeping out of Boston. And I'm in Boulder, Colorado and passed over my bookkeeping and her and her husband and their team do my bookkeeping now. And every month I read my reports and I still review everything and I'm still so involved. Right. Right. So that was, 
Huge. Another thing that I think I'm good at, um, two more things. There's probably so much more. (laughs) Me and my husband, you know, this was like a big, I, I married a hippie. I was more of a hippie when we first got together 16 years ago. He was doing budgets like on a little piece of paper, six categories, like rent, food, you know, health insurance, you know, it made, and that's, I don't know, maybe that was it. And this was years ago. And so him and I have grown leaps and bounds in being able to sit down and talk about money, not fight about money, be more loving and compassionate, um, share our numbers with each other, get on the same team with our goals, have money dates, Love it uh, often. So that's a that's a huge thing I'm really proud of because I know working with couples, it's it's like moving mountains. It is, you know. So that's uh, and then one last thing that I'm really proud of is business models. So I can keep fine tuning this and I can get better certainly. But something that was really important to me that took me a while to figure out was how do I create a sustainable business model where I can be really generous with my content um, and services and where it is financially lucrative, you know, for me and sustainable with my health and family and other values. Right. So it creates, it it supports a lifestyle that really works for me while being as generous as possible with my community. And so I'm 15 years in and the first three years of my business, it was just me doing bookkeeping, leading groups, doing some financial therapy. And it was up and down like it is, you know, the first three years and then three and a half years into it, It was really year three that other women started knocking at my door saying, hey, Barry, I'm in graduate school to be a therapist and I'm doing bookkeeping on the side. Or, hey, Barry, I'm, you know, in corporate accounting and I'm doing this yoga teacher training on the side. And they were just knocking on my door saying, I want to be on your team. And I'm looking around thinking, what team? (laughs) What team are they talking about? And then I realized, like, these are these women, like-minded women, they, they get what I'm doing. They're doing something similar. They want to be on my team. And I wound up creating a team of other bookkeeping trainers and financial coaches. And I would go out and do what I love, which is give an hour and a half talk on my methodology, you know, the mm-hmm. overview of the art of money. Back in the day, I used to call it conscious bookkeeping and give this whole inspiring overview of the methodology and the path and how it looks and feels and, and you know, and get people to feel safe and ready, you know, to do this work. And then I would, they would sign up for one of my group programs or they would go to my bookkeeping trainer to learn QuickBooks or they would go to a financial coach to plan. And this was all under my umbrella. So as soon as I hit that at three and a half years, I I hit upon a sustainable business model where we were making a lot more money. I could pay myself on a regular basis, you know, and I did that for many years until I had my son. And then um, because of how labor went and everything, we were in a big recovery, needed to simplify. So got really simple again, let go of my business partner, my whole team. And then five years ago, again, finally, I was, I was tired of the opening up my program every few months and filling it, um, that was starting to feel harder. And all of a sudden I realized I'm ready for a year long program. I had matured, my community had matured, the material and methodology had matured. And so I visioned this year long program, but what I knew that I wanted to do was serve a lot more people. And I wanted to make it more accessible. And I had this idea if I lower the price point, because I was doing more middle to high price points with my groups at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I started out with like $150 for the group. And then I, you know, and then I just kept grazing it. But for the year long program, I said, I'm going to lower the price point. 
and see how that works. And, and so by lowering the price point, we got, you know, we went from 50 students to 320 students in the first year. And it was so much more lucrative overall. And I got to give everything, like include my entire library of all the interviews I've done for years and years and years, create all of my exercises and on and on and on. So I was able to create a business model that, again, is the most generous with my content and everything that I can give and how it's set up. And it also honors that I need to take care of my health and that I have an eight-year-old son and I have a husband. You know, right. things like that. So finding a business model, I think it's it's a hard nut to crack. And I, I don't think it's like you pick one and then you're done. I think you always need to be fine-tuning depending yep. on the phase you're in and the life of the moment of your business. But that's something that I've worked really hard on figuring out. I love that because you've been very conscious. Like you take a, you, you can tell, you reflect, you take a step back as to what's going on currently is what you're doing serving you. If not, what can you do to make it serve you, you know, where it can serve you better so you can pretty much bring the best of you out. So I love that you do that. Now, I'm curious here, as far as on at your in your home, do you, I know you had mentioned you and your husband share your numbers. Do you both manage the finances, the personal finances, or does one do, how does that work in your household? We've been through a few different iterations of that. You know, we first came together, we were together for seven years and we had separate finances. We kept our finances separate for seven whole years. And then as soon as we decided to have a child, we merged. And I had been wanting to merge for a little bit. My husband didn't want to. He wanted his independence. And now he says he doesn't remember why (laughs) he wanted his independence. And I was like, can we please merge? You know, because it was starting to get ridiculous. Like I would go buy groceries or and, and save the receipts. And he would go buy groceries and save the receipts and we would add That's them up. a lot up. of work. And, but, and, but then it was coming to the same amount or like within a few dollars. So it was like, okay, <laughs> this is ridiculous. Obviously we've merged. So for us, it was the having the child. And then since I, it was more my business, my work, I was doing all the finances for a long time. I was tracking everything in QuickBooks. I had a file for a personal and then a separate file for a business. And so I was doing them. And that worked for a while. And then is can't remember when it was. At some point, Forrest said, okay, it's time for me to take them over and learn Mint. And he taught, him, he taught himself Mint probably in, you know, an hour or two, <laughs> unlike me who needed the tissue and the chocolate and the hand-holding. <laughs> you know, he can do that. He can teach himself tech tools. And so he started doing our books on Mint. And then he moved over to iBank. And we kind of do a combination of... Mint for personal now, or iBank for personal now, QuickBooks for business. And then we throw it all into an Excel spreadsheet so we can see more cash flow forecasting, right? So, you know, our bookkeeper does the business. My husband does more of the personal tracking. And then we come together on our money dates for the visioning and reviewing of all the numbers. We pretty much know what our monthly nut is personally after reviewing our patterns and data for so long you know, and stay within that. We're not really rigid. You know, we have to go up and down in cash flow depending on where we are in the business because we make our money mostly from my year-long program now. And that opens up, well, it opens up tomorrow, (laughs) (laughs) October 19th for the early bird. And then it opens up in January again. And so that's where we make a big chunk of it. And so, you know, we, so we just, depending on where we are in the year, we have to look more closely at cash flow and plan. But so we have 
whether it's monthly, at least quarterly big meetings at this point. They used to be monthly, and now they're a little more spread out depending on when we need them. And we have our money dates over chocolate or over wine. Or <laughs> I love that you, know, you mentioned chocolate. Yeah. I love chocolate. <laughs> oh, oh, good, 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 good. Yeah, that's my thing too. And, and so, you know, or on a date when we're going out, we do a lot of visioning and planning together when we go out for dinner and have dates. So that's a little bit of little bit of how we do it now. But this was, this is after years of none of this was in place, you know, and it takes time. It evolves, like you mentioned before. So now you mentioned that you do your visioning. So when you and your husband do your visioning, you talk about your future goals, those type of things is what you're referred to, correct? Yeah, I mean, it could be, you know, for he's back in his own business, but for about three years, he was helping run mm-hmm. the art of money. And now he's back doing his own thing called Clarity Lab. And so it, it just all depends. Are we visioning for the business and where it's going? Are we visioning for our personal lives? Usually it's a combination of all of that. Yeah, it's just visioning where we're at, um, where we're at with our child who's now eight. My husband and I both went to public school mm-hmm. and it was fine. I mean, I, again, because I wasn't great at, um, I wasn't smart in traditional ways. So math and science, I never really excelled at. And uh, I knew that a different learning environment would have been better for me. But so, and because we have one child, we're choosing to send him to a Montessori school. So, you know, we have that conversation a lot. This is where we're spending our money. It's a big chunk of money. It's certainly cutting a chunk out of our future, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's hard for us to think about the future and we have to make ourselves think about the future and so we just, you know, it's, it's kind of like every time we sit down, we like to think about now, mm-hmm. uh, what we're grateful for, um, the future of goals and dreams. And sometimes, they, you know, buying a house in Boulder took us years. We just did that last year. And there was a lot of hard work around it, a lot of patience. And then finally, the magic happened after lots of hard work. And so, you know, it's a bit about appreciating where we're at seeing where we want to go in the future, making decisions, things like, do we want to keep sending our child to this Montessori? Is he thriving to all different money decisions around, you know, travel and where we're at. And, and then, and then what are we missing? You know, what are we not thinking Mm -hmm. about? Which is maybe saving, you know, when do we have to put away that set and how can we think about our future a little bit more, you know, and things like that. I love that you mentioned it. And one Montessori, just from experience, loved it. We had our oldest um, in Montessori for, it was just several years because we've moved move around quite a bit, but I think it was a great, great decision. I mean, he's just thriving uh, in school. So just yeah. FI. I know. Me and- us too. Proud, love, and he wants to keep going for the next two years. He's like, oh, that's where I'm going. So That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And the other thing that I wanted to mention that I love that you're mentioning and that you're you're talking about is definitely the visioning how you and your husband have those conversations because sometimes we get so stuck in the nitty-gritty of we got to save this or we got to pay this that which yes we we have to do but I definitely talk about and I'm glad you bring it up because we definitely can tend to forget we get so involved in the fine-tuning of like we have to save this amount pay this bill pay this and that that we forget our aspirations we forget our 
our goals, we forget those type of things. So I'm glad that you bring it up, that you do it on a continuous basis. So thanks so much for sharing that. Cause I love that you said that. Cause I'm like, yes, I was just <laughs> underneath yeah. my, I was saying it quietly, but loved, love that you brought that up. So this has been wonderful, Barry. I, as you know, this podcast is all about making money simple and taking control of it. So how would you finish this sentence? Her money matters because. Okay, let's see. Um, her money matters. Mat- her money matters because <laughs> her money matters because this is a really important garden of life. Just like our health and taking care of our bodies and intimacy and relationship. And if it's not tended to, it's going to bite us in the butt, you know. <laughs> and it's going to wreak havoc. And her money matters because. It's it's just an important part of life that needs our attention and needs the right amount of watering and not too much and not too little. And because ultimately it touches on every other aspect of our life. So if we can come into right relationship and come into a healthy and savvy and creative, name your adjectives. These are some of mine, meaningful and playful relationship to money. It serves all of our lives and all of our relationships and as women it's really, this was, you know, this was just something that not only in previous generations has it been hidden and taboo, but, you know, it's being passed down more to the men. It's still secretive for them too, but it's being passed down to the men before us. And it's really empowering when we learn this and we learn the language and we do it in a creative, fun way. And it's just, you know, it's going to just support and serve every single area of our lives. Love it. I love that you refer to it as a garden. (laughs) Love it. Thanks so much, Barry, for being on the show. Really appreciate all that you shared today. Thank you so much, Jen. Bye, everyone. Thank you for having me. Wasn't Barry amazing? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed chatting with her. Now, I want to share with you some of my thoughts on when she spoke about missing gaps, the missing gaps she experienced in her money journey. But before I do that, I want to do our weekly shout out. Now, today's weekly shout out, I went through our iTunes reviews. And this is a five star review titled learning so much. This was done actually a couple of months ago in December. And it comes to us from I believe is pronounced Cheryl. And Cheryl mentions, okay, I am learning so much and getting so inspired by what I hear. I have a general knowledge of money management, but this lady has guests that are practical, relatable, and still amazing. I am so glad I found this one. Thank you so much for those kind words, Cheryl. I really, really appreciated that feedback. Now, on to some of the thoughts that I mentioned or my aha moments or just what I gained from speaking to Barry. So she mentioned missing gaps. So she speaks about her generosity of her parents. She speak about some money memories she had, for example, when her father would ask her to make a copy of her bank register and uh, to give to him. But the missing gap there was that, yes, she provided this information, but there was no feedback. There was no Uh, you know what, Barry, you may be overspending and eating out, or maybe you should consider, or I noticed you were late on paying this bill, whatever a case might be. Now, Barry, I'm not saying you were late on paying bills, (laughs) if you're listening. 
So, but what I really wanted to share about this is really for and challenge you. Just I want to challenge you to think about what do you have any missing gaps through when, as you grew up, did your parents uh, have some money conversation or have an action that you had to take related to money, but there was something lacking, right? There was something lacking, like maybe the feedback, like that. Uh, very experienced, the lack of feedback, uh, those type of things. So what has showed up for you? I want you to reflect on that because that, and then on top of that, besides reflecting on what gaps were there, uh, also think about how has that translated to today, right? Has that affected you in any way? Have you learned and built up from that? Are you repeating some of the same cycle? What shows up for you today? Now, for me, I know like Barry's uh, parents, they did their best. Uh, They always had big hearts and great intentions. Uh, My dad actually spoke to me about money management and the dangers and uh, about credit cards about making sure to checking in with the money, with the banks, all the, you know, he gave me a lot of uh, great information. My mom, on the other hand, was the one that really spoke the lack of, but I feel that those feelings uh, about money really step, stems from their upbringing. So whatever feelings that emotions that they had, or whether they resented something about money, it's just them from their upbringing and that's not their fault, right? So I, but I think for me, the gap was learning about that emotion that money brings and how to deal with it. So I always, money was fearful me for me in the sense of there was always such a quote unquote lack of that I always feared being in that situation. And granted, I got myself out of that in adulthood because I was determined not to be in that situation. But even after getting myself out of that, meaning I was bringing in money. I had, you know, I was, had a job. Uh, I make good money. I wasn't lacking in the money area. I still dealt with not feeling like I had enough. I've still dealt with the fear. And there was just, and that's something that granted, not every parent's going to know how to deal with it because we don't talk about money as it is in general, right? So it's just really, learning what was missing for you and how, what can you do now to shift that, how to deal with it, right? So that's something that has progressed over time that I'm still working on because that is something that it's a journey. It's nothing that's just going to go away overnight. So I just wanted to share with that with you and also to challenge you to reflect back and see what missing gaps are there for you. If there's any, there's going to tend to be, I would guess. Uh, If you didn't, that is amazing. That is amazing. Now, that is uh, pretty much it for today's episode. To learn more about Barry, I know I recently purchased her book that I am going to be reading. You can go to barrytesler.com and I'll be sure to link that up in the show notes as well for your convenience. So next week on the podcast in episode 87, we will have another guest named Jody Flynn, who has become a friend of mine. And she is a leadership expert for women. 
So if you're needing to build confidence, if you're needing to learn and build those skills, leadership skills, she is the go-to person. So I can't wait to share that interview with you. So that is a wrap for today. I want to thank Barry for joining us and sharing all she shared with us uh, today. Be sure to check out the show notes on jenhemphill.com forward slash 86. And so that way you can learn more on how to get in touch with Barry. If you didn't write down the link or driving, whatever the case may be, you can access all that information there. So thanks again for listening. And we will connect again next Thursday. 